November is Prematurity Awareness Month, so it's a good time to talk about pregnancies that might need a little extra attention, the risks for premature babies, and how to be prepared for the unexpected. That's in today's Unprivate Parts podcast. Welcome to Unprivate Parts, a podcast hosted by Women's Hospital. Join us as we pull back the proverbial curtain with honest discussions on women's health and the uncomfortable subjects we all want answers to. Welcome to the Unprivate Parts Podcast. I'm Melanie Bear. Today we're talking to a woman who has the perspective of being on both sides of the NICU. Lee Townsend is the Family Support Navigator at the Women's Hospital Newborn and Infant Intensive Care Unit, but she's also the mother of three boys, all of whom were born premature. Before 37 weeks is what we mean when we say premature. Lee, first of all, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story and providing some information that I think will help a lot of other women listening. Thank you for inviting me. Okay, let's start with your experience. So okay. I know all three of your children were born premature. The first one, you were around 22 years old. You had your first baby at 27 weeks. Do, yes. Did you at that time think much about the possibility of a premature delivery? Um, my pregnancy was really fine up until 26 weeks. So um, my mother actually delivered us around like 37, 38 weeks. So I was okay. And it was a possibility, you know, of a few weeks early. Um, but I went in for checkups. I did everything, you know, all the tests. And, you know, there was no reason to think that anything was going to be different up until around um, week 26 when my blood pressure just went through the roof. And so then um, I started feeling dizzy kind of out of nowhere and I, my vision was a little bit different and I just knew I didn't feel well. And I had just been to the doctor the week before. So I just, I wasn't even sure if it was related to pregnancy, honestly, I, you know, I was just getting sick. And so, um, thankfully I went to my mother's and, um, she said, no, something's really wrong with you. I had gained a lot of weight, like 10 pounds in just one weekend, which all of these things, you know, any woman or doctor who's, you know, experienced this, these are all signs of preeclampsia. And so, um, thankfully I went to the hospital that night and then I did not leave until my baby was born. But you called your doctor before you went I in. I did. And your doctor said, Lee, he, you're fine. Right. I just he, saw you. He, yeah. He said, he said, I just saw you. Your blood pressure was fine. Every, you know, everything. He said, um, he said, I just saw you. Everything was fine. You know, cause at every, you know, every appointment you go to, you give your urine sample, they check for sugar, they check for protein, you know, all yeah. that. And everything was fine. But something you and knew. Just, something I just, I didn't, right. you followed didn't that feel intuition. Right. Yeah. I just yeah. didn't feel right at all. And so, um, so we went and my blood pressure, um, was just ridiculous. It was way over. And, um, you know, they said, maybe if you, you know, you rest for a little while, you know, stay in the assessment center for a little while, you know, sometimes if you lay on your left side, it goes down, that type of thing. And, um, they started me on all the medications and, um, got me up to labor and delivery where I stayed for the next four days. And, um, so yeah, I just, you know, it never went down. And at that point, the only cure for preeclampsia really is delivery. And had you even heard of preeclampsia at the time? Yes. Were so you my, familiar with what that entails? Yes. My aunt had it, um, four years before me. And so all I remember was that, cause I didn't go to the hospital to see her. I remember that my mom was her sister. She couldn't have any noise. She couldn't have any lights because they put her on this medicine mag to try to slow it all down and try to stop it. And, um, so they did, they put me on that medicine and I couldn't, I had to have all the lights off. It makes you really, really hot. So the nurses brought in fans and it was, um, 
It's a miserable experience. It's miserable. And, and, it, and it's life-threatening. Oh, we're going to talk about 100%. We're going to talk yes. about those symptoms. But first, I want to let everybody know that the baby turned out to be great. Oh, he's good. How he's, long was he in the NICU? <laughs> well, he was in the NICU for eight and a half months, which is definitely not the norm. I don't hard. want anybody to think that's the that norm. That was a hard eight months for yes, you, Yes, huh? it was. It really was. And um, now he's 15. <laughs> and then your yeah. second and your third pregnancies... Um, ended in the 34-week delivery and a 35-week delivery. Yes. So you had preeclampsia again for your second born. Yes. But for your third born, you, do you think it was the baby aspirin? I know you took baby I, aspirin I took for your third pregnancy and you did not even, have preeclampsia. Right. I took baby aspirin even before conception and um, my blood pressure was as, perfect. As, and you took that as a way, as a way to exactly. hope to prevent, because by that time research had come out exactly. that suggested baby aspirin could help to prevent preeclampsia. Exactly. And with someone like with a high risk, which was me, you know, like they don't tell every woman, you know what I mean, to take that, just, you know, your first pregnancy or anything, but because I was already at a high risk. So um, I didn't, I didn't have high blood pressure, even up, you know, even like in, you know, severe labor, like in pain, my blood pressure was still fine. <laughs> and so um, he still came early, but I didn't have to get on the mag, which was, it's just, you know, it's life-saving and it's very, it saves the baby's brain. Like it really helps through delivery for the baby and the mother, but it's, um, it's not fun <laughs> to and be how, on. And you have three healthy boys now. How old yes. are they? So 15, nine and six. So this was six years ago was yeah, your last they're, delivery. They're incredible. Yeah. Okay. And you know, one in 12 pregnancies, uh, one in 12 women who are pregnant end up having preeclampsia. And I know it can happen to any woman, but there are risk factors and symptoms that I did want to touch on. Yeah, sure. It's, um, prematurity Awareness Month yeah, sure. in November. The swelling of the face, which is what you had. Mm-hmm. It, was that the real indicator? Well, my feet swole up too. But that's kind of normal in pregnancy. See, though, that's the, it, yeah, see, it's, that's it's, the it's, issue is what when I got, you know, that's the issue is... um that's what got me, you know what I mean? Like, I guess I'd really notice my face. You know, I was like, well, it's my third trimester. I'm supposed to be fat. Isn't that terrible? That's what I, that's what well, I said. Well, and you don't feel your best. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, you know, then we feel like, like we're know? hypochondriacs. Exactly. Women, yeah. The, exactly. All these strange things are happening with our bodies. And exactly. I said, you know, I'm going to go to my mom's house and she's going to tell me, Lee, you're fine. You know what I yeah, mean? That's yeah. kind of what, you know. Well, good thing. But it is. But yeah, good my face definitely in. was much bigger. Yes. Uh, especially around the eyes, swelling mm-hmm. around the eyes. Yep. Swelling of the feet is, of course, common in normal pregnancy, but this is a little bit of a different, yes. uh, that swelling around the face and the eyes. Weight gain, five pounds or more than five pounds in one week. Yes. Is what you what you're, need to be cautious of. Headache that won't go away. Yes. Uh, even with Tylenol or, right. or uh, some sort of headache medicine that you're allowed to take while you're pregnant. Changes in vision, which you said you mm-hmm. had nausea or throwing up after mid-pregnancy. So we're not talking about that morning sickness. Right. This is after your mid-pregnancy uh, when you should be out of that phase. And then upper right belly pain. Yes. and Which which uh, is described as sort of like a heart um, or indigestion sort of pain. Yes. Uh, and difficulty breathing. So these symptoms, I, I want to make a little disclaimer. This doesn't mean that you have preeclampsia if you right. have these symptoms, but you should see your doctor. Yes. And uh, even in your case, like I said, you called your doctor and you were told you were fine, but you had to follow that mother's yes. intuition. And it's yes. better safe than sorry yes. because it is a life-threatening uh, issue. So uh, in your second pregnancy, preeclampsia, third pregnancy, the baby aspirin, um, and your NICU experience, or you think the baby aspirin helped you to not get preeclampsia, right. but, but you did have your babies in the NICU all three times. And those three times were all different experiences because the first one was in 
the old woman's hospital yes. um, where all the babies were together. And now woman's hospital here in Baton Rouge, of course, we have one of the nicest, uh, largest facilities for the NICU, but uh, all the babies have their own individual room for each family. And that's kind of rare around the country. It's incredible. So how was yeah. that experience different for you? It, um, it's great because you have a sense of privacy and actual, it's very hard to feel like you can bond with your baby at the beginning of the NICU admission, because, you know, we all, especially the women, you know, who take the labor and delivery tours and everything, we have such nice facility here, you know, bonding areas, you know, the magic hour and all for having your baby. And so when your baby's in a different area of the hospital, you know, it's just very unnerving, right. you know, it's very surprising. And so um, to roll over, you know, in your wheelchair for your first visit uh, with your baby, it's just a totally different experience here because you roll into a room with only your baby. There's your own little couch. They have their own little area. They have their own little window. There's a board with all their information on it and you can personalize it, you know, like by asking questions and things compared to um, the old unit, Open Bay, which is, you know, it's, it's really the standard across most of the country. I mean, there's not, you know, a lot of places still have it. But, um, you know, you're going to wheel your husband or whoever's going to wheel you in your little wheelchair past, you know, 10 or 15 babies. And there's so mm -hmm. many lights and there's so much noise and there's so many people. And you're like, wait, where's mine? You know, and by the time you get to yours, like, I mean, there is no privacy. You're in a fishbowl, right. you know, it's, for some of the most hardest days and minutes of your life. Right. You know? So do you think that so. this is something that women who are pregnant or are thinking about becoming pregnant should consider when they're deciding where to have a baby? Because no one expect most people, I would say, don't expect exactly. to end up in the NICU. Most people, they're like, "Wait, there's a NICU," <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like where, you know, where, wait, what, do you, where is that? Or they think, you know, the old. I say the old, you know, because um, like when I was born, for example, you know, they had the nursery where they put all the babies, and you mm -hmm. can go like kind of tap on the window. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, people. That's what people, most people think, right? When they think, oh, the NICU, like the nursery where you can like look at the babies through the glass, and so um, so I just like people to at least know it exists, know that. Women's Hospital is one of the best in the country and that your baby will be very well taken care of and that you will be the most important part, the parents, you know, or the most important part of the team in case you do end up coming. <laughs> you know what I mean? That we do exist and but that, um, yeah. 10% of the babies born, I know here at Women's, 10% uh, of the babies born end up in the NICU. Would you say Correct. most of them were not, or most of those parents were not expecting uh, that to be the case. So sometimes you kind of have an indication that right. you deliver prematurely, but uh, but probably most of the time most, you're not. No, right, correct. And then um, even being like, say, one or one and a half weeks early, you know, not necessarily 37, but, you know, sometimes we get the babies who just need a few days, you know what I mean? Um, just a little early. Just a little extra a, help. You know, they just need a few mm -hmm. days, a little oxygen, or maybe they're breathing a little too fast, you know, to go home. And so that's a lot of the families who, you know, they had no indication at all. You know what I mean? Right. Or then some that um, are much earlier, you know, and they still didn't know. And you guys have 90, about 90 babies at any given time, all in those single rooms. Right. Well, single yes. Rooms. And so we have, we have enough single family rooms for 84 beds. And so some of them actually are twin rooms. So like you have two babies because you have twins, but it's one room. So we have enough space for... Um, Two mm -hmm. isolates, you know, the whole mm -hmm. two ventilators, the whole setup so the family can stay together, you know, not having to go diff visit different rooms. And then we also actually have one room that can be um, set up as a triplet room. 
So same. We generally, we almost always have a set of triplets in there, (laughs) you know, and then um, we do have the capability to go over the 84 and then those are more of an open base style. Sure. But um, we still have, you know, same staff, same level of care. And what would you say is the extent of time that you can expect or, or the average extent of time that most babies will spend in the NICU? That's so hard to say is the problem. We often say for, we often say uh, for premature babies, this is just, you know, NICUs across the country. You know what I mean? This is just the standard, you know, on or around your due date is the goal, whether you were, you know, um, 40 weeks ish, like, you know, two weeks before, two weeks after is the goal. Now, um, we have so many full-term babies who come for many different issues as well, and that's, you know, even harder, you know, kind of to, to say, right, because sure. it depends on what their issue is. Right. But, like, for example, our son um, went way past his due date, you know, because he had – because premature premature babies, the two, two of the last things that form in the womb, in the mother's womb, are the lungs and the eyes. So, generally, it's the lungs that keep the babies here. I mean, you know, generally. And so um, that was his issue was he needed a lot of extra help to breathe during those first few years of his life. And so um, we've gotten much, the technology and the care since then is just incredible. So it's a big difference. What would you say is the range of size of the babies in terms of pounds that are in the NICU? I mean, I think it was one and a half, your firstborn was one and He was one pound, 11 ounces. Yes, he was. And so in this NICU, we get about um, 40 to 50 babies around that size per year. So I like to tell parents that just to remind them that they're not alone. Because mm-hmm. especially in those single family rooms, you know, of course, the only baby you care about in the NICU is yours, of course. Right. You know, but um, it feels very much like, oh, my gosh, no other baby on earth has ever been born, <laughs> you know, ever been mm-hmm. born this small and I'm the only one. Like, do they even know what they're doing? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like a lot of parents, you know, I mean, it's they never heard of anybody born that small. and You know, it's like okay, well, these doctors are saying that, you know, they do this all the time. You know, like, you know, that that's crazy, right? It's kind of the first thing you get from parents. But, um, so I do like to tell one them that. One pound. One oh, yeah. and a half pound. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, I've been working here seven years, so now it's like, it, it's a little crazy how, like, we get kind of used to it, too. Mm-hmm. So now we get babies, I mean, of all sizes, you know, newborns. We get some that are sometimes, like, even 10 or 11 pounds. And it's funny because to us, that's giant. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, and NICU parents say right. that too. Like, you know, a NICU mom will say, oh, well, I just went to my, you know, my sister's baby shower or I went to see my nephew. That baby's only six pounds, but he's enormous. <laughs> and so it's like a whole different, just a perspective change. You how know, how it's long just, do you felt it took to get your babies back on track to where they should be at that age? Yeah. So again, this is more of a national thing. Also throughout all of them, we usually say that, you know, most preemies with early intervention can catch up by age two or so. Age two. Okay. You know, and that's the thing is it depends like our genetics, for example, of course you can't see me on the podcast, but I'm very short. I come from a very short family. <laughs> so it's kind of funny that, um, our Takes 30, one to know one. I mean, you know what I mean? So it's kind of funny that, you know, our nine year old and our six year old are the same exact size. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, and so it's like, well, I mean, he was born smaller. You know, at this point, we just think it's genetics. Right. You know what I mean? But as far as development, um, we call it's a thing called. So age two is really. Yeah, it was kind of. And we call it adjusted age. Like, for example, you baby's born at 30 weeks. Well, the birthday's always going to be that day. Right. But for the first two years, you adjust 
out. Mm -hmm. So you adjust by, okay, say a four month old supposed to start rolling over or, you know, a baby smiles at a certain age or waves. You don't go by their birthday. You go by your due date, you know, kind of just to, you know, we, the baby needed that extra, say you born at 30 weeks, the baby needed that extra 10 weeks, you know, just to grow and the brain to grow. So then, you know, you're not expecting, you know, a two year old to do something that really they were born four months early. You know what I mean? Yeah. So on that note, what kind of support do you find is available, not only here at Women's Hospital, but also across the country for the babies and the parents really once they leave the hospital yeah. to the point where they are, quote, adjusted around yeah. two years while the parents are helping the baby to try to get adjusted? Yeah. So a lot of... um now, some of this may be a little different since COVID, you know, because my son is, you know, 15. But you're followed pretty closely right after the hospital. Um, in the NICU, babies are seen, and this is across the whole country, are seen by many therapists. Physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, which helps them uh, mainly to eat because that's a big issue for most of these babies. And then, of course, as they get older, you know, to help them speak and help them, you know, meet their milestones, you know, get their strength up to be able to crawl and everything. So most of them are followed by several of those, you know, maybe, maybe when they leave they're you know, they're doing really well and they're, you know, the neonatologists, um, what they do is, you know, like the idea act, which is the, um, individuals with disabilities, it's a mm -hmm. federal act. So one of those parts actually focuses on zero to three. Have you ever heard of early steps or early yes. intervention? Okay. So the NICU, um, the NICU doctors, social workers, um, and the nurses, you know, we actually refer them to early steps. From, you know, from here. So that way, when they go home, they already have like the application started. And then someone from the state from early steps will go to their home or probably just on the phone now. And um, they kind of go over all the milestones, what the baby's medical history is. And then they decide as a team, okay, physical, occupational, speech, you know, what do we need? Mm -hmm. And they provide that in the home. And then, of course, like places like a woman's, you know, Women's Center for Wellness, we have all that there too. So, you know, we can also, you know, supplement you know, what you're getting from the state, you can supplement that with so many individual providers. And then of course the babies, most NICU babies see their pediatrician within two to three days, you know, like, like, you know, they go home and we set that up for them. And so of course the pediatrician is the biggest resource from then on. So it sounds like you feel that there is a good understanding of the support needed in that window when they get out of the hospital, when the babies get out of the hospital and the parents are trying to guide them along. Um, right up to that two-year mark where they can maybe get a little bit of relief um, at right. the adjusted point. But one area that I know um, you feel that we should start talking more about, and you even refer to it as a national crisis, is the mother's ability to take off of work when, and even the father in yeah. some cases, when, yeah. when the baby is in the NICU, you're finding a real dilemma when the baby's having to stay at the NICU because the parents can't be there if they have to go back to work and they're finding a, a limit in their maternity leave. Right. Right. And so it really is because we know best practices are for the baby to be held, you know, to be touched for mom and dad to really be in there and be involved daily. And um, that's just much harder when, you know, you're working eight to 10 hours a day. <laughs> so um, in the, I'd say maybe, you know, in the best case scenario, right. A, a mom might have 12 weeks of maternity leave. Right. And so she, would have her baby full term, take it home, and then have 12 weeks, right, to kind of figure out baby life and recover and kind of, you know, that's a huge transition, you know, into motherhood yeah. to begin with. And so that 12 weeks, most, almost every mom that I know said, oh, that was not nearly enough, 
you know, and that's right. for a perfect, you know. And that's for a, a full time. Right. You know what I mean? That's for yeah. like, you know, most, you know, I just hear, you know, all the time, oh, that just wasn't enough. And so you say your baby's going to be in the NICU for 12 weeks. Well, the mama, maybe if she's very lucky in our, you know, in, in um, I'll say in our society, <laughs> she gets 12 weeks. So, and it dad, doesn't matter where it, the baby is at home or you in know the hospital. I mean? You only get it, 12 weeks. You know what I mean? And they're and, then, and they're really struggling with this, aren't they, Lee? Yeah. And then some moms only get like six. You know what I mean? The six, especially if it's, you know, a vaginal delivery. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, you're recovered. Come on back. Well, the baby's still in the hospital. <laughs> so um, they really do because almost like a day two, like the mom's still in the hospital recovering from, you know, a C-section. And they're like, um, the doctors are saying my baby's going to be here for months. I, I, I don't get any time off. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. You know, like, can you, the doctor write us a note? I mean, our social workers, you know, they do as much as they can possibly do, you know, to, to show, show to the employers, of course, the need, you know. But, um, you know, many, many places is just, well, if you don't go to work, you're not going to get paid. And so, of course, the parents, you know, go. We've had dads go back to work at day three. I think you said a mom went back to work at day four. We've had that happen. Who delivered but, and then four days later, went back to work to We've save that maternity leave. Because all she had was home. six weeks. And mm-hmm. she said, you know, we knew that baby was going to be, you know, more on the two weeks or less side. Mm-hmm. And so she said, I mean, what She said, what else can I do? And then a lot of, you know, especially if the mom carries the, um, which I talked to her mom today, if the mom carries the health insurance. Right. If she doesn't go back, or, you know, or she misses, yeah. then they right. lose the health insurance right. for the entire family. Right? right. So it's a whole, there's so many factors well, yeah. it, I, th- I do think it's good to get that discussion um, yes. started and really put your perspective out there from from talking to these parents. Right. And, and especially with the ever-changing world we live in with restrictions due to COVID, right. uh, like you said, that touch is, is important. So sometimes there are restrictions with the amount of, um, of uh, people other than parents who can come right. in. And that's pretty standard right now across the country. Yes. Um, right. You're, in your role, you help to support not only the the premature babies, but the families. And I know that you plan a lot of fun events for them and that they're in great hands uh, with such a loving staff when the parents do have to go back to work. Tell us a little bit about how you do that and how people listening can can help if they feel so moved to to do that. Oh, sure. So I do work um, full-time here at the NICU, you know, with so many babies and so many families. So I provide a lot of um, in-print and digital educational materials because again, most people don't expect, you know, to be in the NICU and it's not something you, you know, you read like in a regular baby book, right? And so we have very specific, you know, we have all the acronyms, you know, you come in and you hear all these, you know, BPD, ROP, all these things that, you know, you have to learn a whole new language. So we have a lot of things and even apps to, um, to help with that. And so I kind of just, you know, walk around. I do a lot of support, like just bedside support, you know, sitting and talking to families, um, you know, like the, things like that. Like they'll say, oh, you know, what do most parents do? And you, you can know, speak from experience. Ex- I know that means a exactly. lot to them. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, just a lot. I mean, so many times just walking in the room and they know that someone else has been through this and lived to tell the tale, <laughs> you know, is sometimes. And, you most, know, big, and most people do. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. As a mom, though, because right. you, know, you, you, you feel know, like you know, the postpartum crashing you, in. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. like it's like, you know, every you know, every little I say little, none of it's small, but, you know, even like a small, um, you know, the babies might go say one step forward and two steps back. Mm-hmm. It might be like a, health wise, maybe it's minor, but you know, to that mother, it it's the end of the world. Right. You know what I mean? So just talking through those type of things, like, yes, actually my son went through this too. And yeah, mm-hmm. it was a hard day, you know, you know, just mm-hmm. to be like, it's, you're not the only one, but you know, we, I've made it right. I mean, you know, and, and so, um, 
that kind of thing. And also we talk a lot about siblings because um, often, you know, it's the four-year-old or the two-year-old at home who's given the parents the most problems, right? Oh, I understand <laughs> you know? that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they're like, you know, they don't understand it sure. and they don't understand why mommy, you know, can't pick them up if she's had a C-section. You know what I mean? They don't understand all these things. So we do prepare lots of sibling education and sibling like fun things that we send home. Um, like next, well, this week we're going to do the costume contest. So oh, all the, yeah. We have many costumes and all the babies can, um, the parents can choose the costumes and dress the babies up to, you know, have some normalcy is a big part of what I do. And keep it light as much as possible. Exactly. Keep people feeling good because that exactly. makes a difference in the environment and it does. and uh, the energy that you guys put out there. I know really you guys does. do also a, a NICU reunion yes. and um, a yes. readathon. Yes, we just uh, had a readathon. Can people help with the readathon? Um, yes, we always we have a couple of different ways. Um, it's very important for parents, of course, any babies, you know, but it's important for parents in the NICU to read to their babies because that's one of the things the babies really know, even no matter how early they are, they know the parents smell and they know the parents, the sound of the voice. And so, you know, it's kind of odd to just sit next to an isolate and just randomly talk, right? <laughs> so, um, providing them with as many books as possible. And so we do that through donations. Um, we have a March of Dimes partnership, which gets us one children's book for every single baby. And then we have, um, a lot of donations from the community of actual books. And then we also have um, grants. And our foundation is very involved in the NICU. And so is marketing. You know, they're, mm -hmm. they're very involved in our NICU. And so um, we'll get grants. We get, you know, rather large donations. And then I'm able to use those funds to buy the books in bulk, which is much cheaper, you know. And so then, I, you know, like for Halloween, they get a book. For trick-or-treat, for around December, they each get a book. You know, they get them um, in March. We do another readathon, you know, so and then um, we just really encourage it. And some families right now have 15 or 16 books, you know, at their baby's bedside. Do they have to be brand new books? I mean, we don't. Oh, yes. They can't. Correct. People listening probably can't donate oh, their true. books from their no, home. Mm -mm. They no, need to, they right. have to be new books. Correct. And, uh, they, but, but ideally, they would donate to the fund. Right. And so you could buy the books in bulk. And we, how right. do people do that? Um, so, I mean, maybe that's a good idea for the women's, holidays, too. Womens.org slash give. Yeah. And that's probably a good idea for the holidays yep. because it's a time of giving, not yep. just receiving. So right. maybe that's a great idea uh, for people to, to feel. Yeah. That they're giving back for the holidays yes. to the babies who need it. This might sound like a silly question, but if the parents have to leave to go back to work and the babies are in this intensive care unit for months or even for days, is there a way that you can record your voice and play it in the single family rooms for the baby throughout the day, like over and over if you had a tape recorder, old fashioned way? Or I was going to say some that's sort of digital. <laughs> I was like, we um, did have the know. tape recorder situation with my son. That's what I say we did. But yeah, I mean, parents can do any type of way they would like, honestly. We, any, any, um, I, or maybe a way to give to I, a parent who's going through I this. I mean, that's a great idea because I admittedly, I'm admittedly, I'm not the best with technology. So that's actually a great idea. I'm not sure what, you know, what kind of method. Because, you know, because like I said, I, you know, when my son was in the NICU, it was a tape recorder, right? And, you know, but um, right. that's a great they, they still make them, Lee, I'm right. pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I still have the cassette. them. Okay. But, but maybe that's, that's a, a great way to idea. help comfort um, yeah, some of those idea. families. Do you, I think um, you mentioned idea. that you had some other advice maybe uh, for anybody who knows someone who has a, a child in the intensive care unit. How? What, what would you say is the best way to talk to them or something to say to them or anything you can do for them to help support them through that time? Well, one thing I would say is um, 
don't wait for them to ask for help. You know, you just know they're going through a very hard time, even if even if from the outside they show a brave face, right? It's hard. So if you drop off a meal or if you just offer, if you know you can offer to take their other child to school or just come over and help with laundry or anything like that, mm-hmm. they're not going to have, you know, their organization skills at their best to say, oh, yeah, I need you to do X, Y, Z on Tuesday, Wednesday or, you know, but anything like that, you know, people literally would just drop off um, food on our front step and text me and say, hey, I left it right here. I'll feed y'all tonight and then leave, you know. But also just um, it's it's hard when no one that you know has been in the NICU. So people might say, oh, the pic, you know, they might look at the baby. Oh, the baby's just little. Or, you know, oh, those pictures are so cute. He's fine. Um, just to realize that no matter how sick or, you know, how long the baby's going to be in the NICU, even one day, um, parents are really upset generally. And it's generally a hard time. So just um, just to kind of be there and listen, not necessarily give advice. You know, which is part of what I do. You know, I don't necessarily go in and tell parents really ever what to do. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, kind of listen to them. And sometimes that's, you know, really all they need. And give them grace. You know, yes, definitely. Give them so much grace. Yeah. Yeah. We're, uh, I was, we're not nice during the Nikki stay. Oh, we try. You're, you're going through yeah. the toughest time right, of your life, right, perhaps. Yeah. And any advice for mothers who are in distress or fathers who are in distress having to leave their babies in the NICU and go to work? Or just not go get some sleep. I mean, you mentioned sleep right. is important. Well, so, you know, what, what kind of words of encouragement can you give them in having to separate with their child during that time? Yes. And so I'll tell you that in our NICU, parents are both welcome 24-7. So it's never, ever that we're like, oh, you know, time to change shift, get out. Or, you know, it's nothing like that. But just to, um, that is actually part of my job is to kind of, you know, help parents know that we can, you can trust the healthcare providers, right? Like even when you're not here, you know, they're taking great care of your baby. Um, I do a lot of the, um, you know, telling them again, that you're not, you know, there's so many of us, it's so hard, you know, it's really acknowledging how hard it is, but then reminding them that, um, if you aren't taking good care of yourself, then when your baby comes home. There's going to be nothing left. That's right. You know, like um, we do encourage, we do, we really do from physicians to, you know, nurses, everyone like, did you have a good meal today? Like a a real sit down meal, you know? And we're like, go, go and do that. You know, your baby's sleeping right now. Please go do that. And then, um, or we'll say, okay, how much water are you drinking? You know, you, you know, you have anything other than an energy drink today, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you know what I mean? That type of thing, because it is exhausting, especially for the moms who are pumping, you know, they're up every two hours all night. And um, so then also, um, you know, once we try to have, we have continuity of care, meaning say a Monday they'll come in, there'll be a certain nurse. Hopefully that same nurse will be there for two or three days. And then the next time they come in, so they get over time, you get to know the staff and then you're like, oh, that's my, you know, this is Kelly. I know her really well. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to take a nap today. You know, I'm not going to rush in there today. So as they get to know the staff, that does get better too. Lee, thank you, know, you so much for spending, not only spending your time with us today to talk about this, but the mission that you show that is important to you every day of your work, what you really dedicate your work to, and you're really paying it forward with the support that you received to other families. So as a community, we all appreciate that. Well, thank you so much. I'm and very blessed you. to be here for sure. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Unprivate Parts. Be sure to follow Woman's Hospital on social media and follow us in your favorite podcast app. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. Thank you for listening.